2: Hello, it's James. It's Monday the 18th of December, a week until Christmas Day. From Tortoise, welcome to the news meeting.
1: The Israeli army says three hostages who were mistakenly shot dead by troops in Gaza had been holding a white flag.
3: Many Jewish hostage families took to the streets of Tel Aviv for hours last night. (laughs) The deal now, they chanted. The former Conservative peer Michelle Moan admitted that she stands to benefit financially from a deal between the PPE firm Medpro and the government.
0: I can't see what we've done wrong. Judge ruled that phone hacking had been, in his words, extensive at Mirror Group newspapers, and that Prince Harry had been a victim, awarding him over £140,000.
2: The Duke has been repeatedly exposed in recent years as someone who wouldn't know the truth if it slapped him around his California tanned face. Joining me at this news meeting is Tortoise's deputy editor, Charles Wattell, covers world affairs for us. Charles, hello. Hello. And Kat Nealon, who's our political editor. Hello. Has everyone abandoned Westminster?
0: No. I have a strong feeling there might be uh, an urgent question this afternoon relating to something we're going to get on shortly.
2: Oh, yeah. That, what a teaser into the news meeting this is. I think since the pandemic, I've had this theory that something big has changed in the way in which both politics and journalism work, which is, for years, it felt as though they were both outcrops of the history department, and in the last decade or so, it's felt as though they're more expressions of geography. And just when you have a good idea, you discover that someone else has had it more articulately and thoughtfully than you ever did. Tim Marshall is the author of Prisoners of Geography, The Future of geography, it's your latest book, Tim. Uh, We know each other obviously from your years in journalism and Sky, but actually these books have changed the way in which lots of us think about geopolitics in the world. It's brilliant of you to be here. The Future of Geography is the latest one, right? That's right, yes. Thank you for mentioning it, by the way, yeah. And
3: are are you working on uh, what comes after this? Well, there's a problem, isn't there? Because once you've done The Future of Geography, which is about space, which of course includes infinity, I'm not sure what there is after infinity. I mean, that's one of those (laughs) things that melts your brain. So um, my brain's melting, and I'm actually not sure at the moment. Quite possibly nothing, but we'll see.
2: A week before Christmas, all of us should be planning nothing. Yeah. All right, well, you know the way this works, Tim. The idea is, in some ways, that you're here to make sure that we don't fall into the classic trap of every newsroom that you convince yourself, that your way of seeing things, your way of thinking is the right one. So I hope the story you bring will give us a different angle on things. Charles, why don't you go first? Long story short, what's yours? Jimmy Lai
4: tests Hong Kong and Beijing. Good thought. Kat?
0: Mine's just a little moan.
4: (laughs) Yeah, a little moan.
0: Just a little £60 million moan.
2: A £60 million moan. Uh, Tim, yours? Putin's Finnish problem. Interesting. All right, okay. Given that we presume we understand the Michelle Moan story, why is it so significant?
0: So on Sunday morning, Michelle Moan and her husband, Doug Barrowman, uh, gave uh, quite a. uh, An unusual interview with Laura Koonsberg. Um, They are still in the midst of uh, investigation uh, into uh, quite what they did in terms of this VIP lane and uh, the products that they they provided. Um, They were clearly trying to set out their defence. They've already paid for their own documentary to be made uh, also to try and uh, set out their defence. But I think... As we have seen with other interviews, famously the Prince Andrew one, sometimes if you go there and and put yourself out there, actually it ends up backfiring and um, I've been quite sort of uh, taken uh not by surprise but you know kind of i think it's it's quite n- noticeable that no one has come out in her defense uh no no conservative figure that you might expect has come out in her defense so the sort of uh, the, the story is they uh they in total they had two contracts which they got through the vip lane for just over 200 million pounds they made a 30% profit on that providing ppe in the midst of the pandemic. Um, so roughly around uh, the £60 million mark. Um, Michelle Moan, so The Guardian ran an investigation uh, which they published in January 2022, saying that she was connected to this company, PPE Medprobe, she denied it repeatedly, um, and has uh, her lawyers have sent uh, threatening letters to the journalists involved, um, accusing them of defamation, and so on and so forth. She now admits that she was involved um, they still insist that she would only indirectly benefit from the from the money because it 's been put into a trust. Uh, which uh, she can't access currently, but she is named as a beneficiary of the trust, ultimately, as are her children. Um, The other, I think, quite eye-catching thing that they admitted, or at least sort of appeared to admit, was the explanation for why uh, Doug Barrowman is still not named as a person with significant control on company's house in relation to PPE MedPro. Um, he said that he thinks he is the ultimate ultimate beneficial owner, but insists that the reason why uh, there's no kind of clarity in the public domain is because he is quote a private person. And can I just pause for a second.
2: What's their argument for why they think they've been badly treated in this? Uh,
0: they their defence was. Again, very uh, a curious one. Obviously, as a journalist, I am biased in favour of my profession and what I think we do, and particularly uh, sort of investigative work. Um, they repeatedly said that uh, they they acknowledged that they lied to the press. They've regret that they did that, but that they were doing it to protect their family. And uh, Michelle Moan very memorably said, "It's not a crime to lie to a journalist." Um, and so that has prompted all sorts of comments. No,
2: sorry, let me, just, let me just... I just want to bring Tim and Charles into what they
3: think of this story. Tim, what do you make of it? There's two things going on, isn't there? There's the um, original problem... Well, there's several things going on. There's the original problem about how the government handled contracts. Um, it's too easy to say they were just handing them out to to their friends because it was a sort of emergency and I understand why they had to fast-track. But then there's the second issue of... These these tens of millions of, of, of pounds that were spent on rubbish because they weren't good enough. And they were ejected the the surgical gowns and the masks and everything once they got to the UK, and then there's as always the cover up, and and um, when Cat was talking, I had to mute my mic um, for hooting with derision, not at Cat, I hasten to add, <laughs> but uh, at this this litany of nonsense, to be honest, that that, that Baroness Moan is coming out with, I didn't mean to mislead anyone, brackets, but I did, I do accept I lied, close brackets. Um, hang on. So you didn't mean to mislead anyone, but you do remember lying. It was an error, uh, etc. I mean, this is why no one's coming out to support her. Because um, uh, you'll know, James, from your, your, your time in, in uh, the offices of great power, it's a head in the hands moment. You can't come out and, and defend yeah. her because it's it's indefensible. I'm not talking about the initial contracts. I'm talking about the cover up. It's risible. <laughs> Charles, can I ask you one question about it?
2: Because I have to confess, I didn't see the interview. I read it. So I read the coverage. And it's really reminded me of something that also was conspicuous over the weekend, which is the division in our press, much more polarized press in the last few months, and I suspect in 2024, than we've had in the last couple of years. Because if you look at the Moan coverage today... Leads on The Guardian, obviously it's been big on the BBC, the Eye newspaper covers it. The, um, the, uh, but, but if the Mail, don't put it on the front page, the Telegraph doesn't have it on the front page, the Times doesn't run it on the front page. If you like, the Tory press and the rest of the press are going in different directions. And it was really striking over the weekend that when it came to the coverage of Prince Harry and his victory over the Mirror Group and the questions for Piers Morgan, again, One group of papers all on the front. The BBC ran it high, but the Times, the Sunday Times, not at all as far as I could see. The Mail, barely. What do you make of the way in which our press is maybe polarised again or perpetually polarised? What's happening in terms of the interpretation of this story? Has this
4: struck you, Giles? Yes, you you can't but be struck about the vacating of of, of the media centre. The Harry story is unto itself. I think you only have to listen to Piers Morgan and his rant at the end of his statement about Harry ad hominem to be reminded that that particular one has dragged a particular constituency off into a fetid corner of Harry and Meghan loathing, competitive loathing, competitive contempt. Why, which... oh, you mean Harry and Meghan loathe Piers Morgan, Piers no, Morgan no, loathe uh, Harry no, and no, Meghan? No,
0: no, 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 no. Who can hate them more?
4: It, it is a third rail of the um, right, of, of, of the conservative right now to uh, despise um, the only person who's ever done anything on merit before joining the royal family. Uh, in its history, and her husband for siding with her against this antediluvian uh, hereditary monarchy um so so i think I think that it 's difficult quite to, to 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 bracket that i think it 's a story unto itself and then what do you think about the moan coverage? Did that strike you, or is that just Yes. Part of I'm politics. Myst- I'm, I'm mystified as to why that is not a, a gimme for every front page mm-hmm. over the weekend, mm-hmm. frankly.
2: Tim, just out of interest, because obviously. Can I just
4: jump in on that. I,
3: I was surprised as well because Harry, it's, you know, stone cold, obvious, uh, you know, royal, celeb, you know, it's got everything, phone hacking. Baroness Moan, and forgive me, I, I'm not keen on this term for her, but you know Baroness Bra, as, as she's known. Yeah. So you've got that for the for the, certainly for the red tops. You've got the potential uh, complete waste of government money. You've got this 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 cover up. You've got lawfare. I mean, it is it's a cracking story, and I I, I agree with Giles. Um, I thought there'd be more more of it. Um, I mean, it's complicated, which never helps in a newsroom, but. Uh, yeah, I'm with Giles. It's 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 odd.
0: I just, in the defence of uh, my other sort of lobby colleagues and, and the other newspapers are so just having a quick look at what is leading the, the stories today. Um, the Telegraph has uh, an interview with Ben Wallace, the former defence secretary, saying that Israel risks breaking the law with its killing rage, which is a pretty strong line to mm-hmm. have. Um, and The Times has got an exclusive, I think, on on um, obesity uh, admissions doubling to, to 3,000 a day, which is an incredible story as well. So I'm not necessarily... Uh, of the view that it is people sort of looking the other way. I think there are a surprising number of very good stories for the week before Christmas.
2: The only thing I would say, Kat, right? So if you put together a front page, you know you have a number of different places where you can signal importance. If you take the Telegraph front page, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine yes. different stories referenced on the front page. Yeah. The, moan doesn't make it in the top no, nine
0: I know that's a fair point
2: Let, let's come back to it at the end is, oh, there, any, is there anything well, else I, about this I we need to know I have not
0: quite got to the sort of nub of what I'm having a little moan about um, yeah. which is that w- or with the lack of defence that is being put forward for her and the strong suspicion that she's on she's currently on a leave of absence at a, 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 um, voluntary leave of absence from the House of Lords. Um, There is perhaps uh, most what they could do is have a vote within the House of Lords to say that she should be sort of permanently ejected, but she will retain her title. And as we know from some of the work that we have done previously around peerages, the title is for some people and she's not um, a regular attendee, so perhaps she is one of them, the title is As Much As You Ever Wanted. So I think that, you know, at the same time as this is going on, we've got Scott Benton, con- formerly Conservative MP for Blackpool South, um, facing a 35-day uh, common suspension and likely a uh, uh, trigger uh, recall petition, uh, which means he will be ejected from the House of Commons. He will no longer be an MP. We don't have the same mechanism for peers And I think that's my little moan about Michelle Moan is I think we should be able to eject peers entirely, strip them of their title. um, And it shouldn't just be a a sort of matter for legislation to be able to do that. Because the last time that happened was First World War, uh, uh, people who uh, were helping the Germans.
2: (laughs) Incredible. Okay. well, let's come back to this once we once we get all three stories. I want to go to Tim, if I might. Putin's Finnish problem, Tim.
3: Well, it's a slight play on words um, because it's about the finish of the um, Ukraine war, but it's also about Finland. Um, mm-hmm. A pathetic joke, but, you know, <laughs> <amazed
2: at me. laughs> I'm not even sure it stretches that far, but it is a pun.
3: <laughs> yeah. So why has he got a Finnish problem? The story is, um, well, there's two headlines in this. Uh, it's an interview he gave to Russian television yesterday, Putin, and the first one was a response to something that Biden said several weeks ago, which, and, and the, the important word here is if. Biden said that if Putin wins in Ukraine, then the Baltic states are next in line. Now, I personally agree with that. If you look at Putin's history, if you look at his mindset, if you look at the essay that he wrote uh, the year before the invasion, uh, if you look at his comments that the Soviet Union was simply uh, another word for the Russian Empire. The, the collapse of uh, the USSR was one of the greatest catastrophes of the 21st century. Everything about him says, as far as he's concerned, the Baltic should be at the very least under Russian control. So Biden's uh, thing is that if he wins in Ukraine, because if he wins in Ukraine, it is a very clear defeat for NATO, for the Americans, mm. and for, for the whole of NATO. And in that case, then uh, Macron's comment about NATO being brain dead comes back to the fore, and if that's true, then Putin is emboldened to go further. I'm not talking about rolling tanks into the Baltics, there's many, many ways of gaining control over countries. So he responded to Biden, and he said it's complete nonsense, uh, and I think Biden knows that, we've got no interest, no geopolitical interest. Uh, no economic interests, to to fight with NATO countries. But within that, there's all the wiggle room of, uh, as I said, there's various ways of taking over a country. And the the other headline for me that came out of his interview yesterday was that he said, we never had problems with Finland, which historically is not entirely accurate, as I do seem to remember them invading Finland in the previous century. But he said, they took Finland and dragged it into NATO, well, I'm not sure they did because 85% of the Finnish people were in support of joining NATO. I mean, it was a clear minority before he invaded Ukraine. After it, 85%. So nobody dragged NATO, uh, Finland into NATO. And he said, We didn't have any problems, but now we're going to have problems. And that was what caught my attention. We are going to have problems yeah. with Finland. And he's talked about um, uh, having to build bigger military bases there. Uh, Finland coming in adds 850 miles to the NATO's front line with Russia. And Russia, of course, has to respond to that. It has to move troops. And once it's finished in Ukraine, either way, in the next few years you will see that that area, uh, the Kola Peninsula, uh, becoming very militarised. So it caught my attention. All that suggests to
2: me, sadly, that... We're in for a stalemate. We're in for a long war rather than a short outcome.
3: Yeah. So is, that right? is that right? Is that one sentence. Putin believes he's got more bullets than Ukraine has men. Now, you can extrapolate from that, but that is it in a nutshell. Because if he's got more bullets than Ukraine has men, and he has, and if their armaments uh, are really gearing up, which they're going to in 2024, and if our uh munitions are depleted to the extent that we're no longer going to give them to Ukraine which is the case then in this war of stalemate and attrition there can only be one victor secondly Putin is working to the Russian the American election clock he knows that across the next uh, 10 months um support for Ukraine will decline it's already it's already All the polls of Republican voters have them between 60 and 72% in favor of reducing aid. 60 to 72% of Republican voters. And that's where Trump is. So he's working to the American clock that Biden might have to respond and lower his support. You've seen the blockage of this new aid package to Ukraine, which has been blocked by Republicans who want extra money for the border with Mexico. Uh, We saw what happened at the EU summit. So all the the direction of travel is support for Ukraine lowering If Trump gets in he will pull the rug from underneath Zelensky at which point the Europeans who are getting tired Likewise, Ukraine has to go to the table because it's going to run out of men before he runs out of bullets I'm afraid that it's a pretty negative scenario but um, if the support for Ukraine is pulled, then that is the scenario, which leads us back to this idea of problems with NATO later on.
4: Charles, what do you think? Uh, that's pretty grim. I don't think you have to look at the next year uh, through quite such a glass half empty lens, if that's a lens. Is it? <laughs> God. It's a metaphor um, and a lens. <laughs> uh, Trump is not a given, though I accept he's exerting a, a negative force on the debate in the States. Um, The 50 billion euros frozen last week can be found in another way. Um, As suggested over the weekend, you can finance Ukraine for the foreseeable by freezing Russian assets. There's $300 billion uh, worth frozen. Uh, That has been floated. I see no reason why that shouldn't happen. We are going to get new weapon systems coming through, um, including F-16s. And I refer the um, colleagues to uh, the Afghan scenario and World War II. So yes, it may be a stalemate. Yes, it may go on for a very long time. But this Red Army, this, sorry, this Russian army has a history of knowing when it's beat long term or, or knowing when it's time to withdraw. We could have a a uh, accelerated 1979 to 1989 timetable. And finally, World War II, people thought it was going to be over very quickly. There were <clears throat> three long years of just waiting for th- the Allies to get their ducks in a row. Uh, and we could be in an equivalent period now.
2: I, I guess I'm, I'm asking something slightly different to the point you're making, Tim, which is the attritional point, or the one that you're making, Giles, which is there is a means for the West to resolve in Ukraine's favor. My real question is whether or not the revealed preference of both sides, i.e. what they're doing rather than what they're saying, shows that both sides have an interest in a stalemate. The West is not willing to commit the kind of force that's needed for domestic political reasons to resolving in Ukraine's favor and the Russians are not willing necessarily to take the casualties they'd have to take to commit to an overall victory. But for both sides, although they both say they want an outcome, actually they can sit with a stalemate for quite a long time. that That's the question I've got. And that's why, what I'm asking because I'm wondering whether well, in not 2024... That
0: All the leaders are very old men, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, fair point. <laughs> I mean... I, I'm really taken by by the sort of framing of this around Finland. So I've got a couple of Finnish friends. I saw them over the summer and they are worried about this. You know, that the guy was having to be called up to do some training uh, to actually, you know, prepare for conflict. And it, that's quite a scary thing and obviously we kind of get used to t- or over the last couple of years we've got used to talking about ukraine and i think we probably do need to think about what happens next and and it's sort of spreading closer into countries where as as we know regardless of what russia says we're willing entrance to nato yeah. um in terms of the attritional thing, and I, th- I think the, the other point is it's not just Republican voters that are sort of tiring of this. That, yeah. that, that very kind of alarming FT poll from a couple of weeks ago that talked about the kind of huge numbers of American voters that are turning against it. There is a higher proportion of Republican voters who are against it. But I think it's something sort of low 30s um, Democrat voters who are also thinking that aid needs to either be reduced or, or, or done with completely.
2: Um Let's, let's take a beat, and then let's go to the Jimmy Lai story, Hong Kong.
1: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at ByHeart.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the
3: ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
4: Charles, Jimmy Lye's in court. Jimmy Lye's in court. He's already been in jail nearly three years. He's facing his third set of charges for collusion with foreign agents and uh, conspiracy to distribute seditious material. Jimmy Lye, I should say, is the founder of Apple Daily, now closed, but in its time the principal champion of democracy in Hong Kong, especially during the demonstrations of of 2019, mainly because the South China Morning Post has decided to roll over and become a compliant Beijing-friendly, uh, once great newspaper. He is being charged under the National Security Law, a complete misnomer, nothing to do with national security, but a an instrument brought in by Beijing around the time of those mass demonstrations, precisely in order to uh, shut down. Any dissent from people like uh, Jimmy Lai. Just two points to make. Um, He's British, or at least he holds a British passport. And only last night did the UK government, for the first time in those three years, make a robust and unequivocal demand for Jimmy Lai's release. This was David Cameron in his new role as Foreign Secretary. Uh, The other.
0: In his uh, new role as China Hawk.
4: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was China Hawk. After his previous role as champion of what was it, the Golden Era? Also, what's interesting to me is that this is the trial is taking place in Hong Kong. It's not taking place in mainland China. Um, yes, one country, two systems is pretty much in the rearview mirror. But it, uh, it is expected to take several months rather than just a few days. So we will see at least a a, a performance, um, uh, an attempt to. To pretend that as the head of the British International Chamber of Commerce uh, in Hong Kong maintains, there is still a functioning legal system in Hong Kong. I don't think anyone has any real illusions as to whether or not Jimmy Lai will be found guilty or innocent, or whether or not the party with the whip hand that decides that will be Xi Jinping in Beijing. Nonetheless, I think it'll be a good watch, an interesting listen. It starts today. And uh, let's just one final point. Remember the context, which is Xi's big plan for the region to turn Hong Kong into part of the world's largest urban area. You can call it the Pearl River Delta. You can call it the Greater Bay Area. Um, But it's already evident that Hong Kong's unmatched role at pulling international capital into China is dimming. It's less effective at that. Um, as a direct consequence of of having been... What is the the sort of presentable uh, um, term for shat on (laughs) by um, uh, Xi Jinping's personal fondness for neo-Maoist oppression?
2: Tim, can I ask you what you think of this story? Not the obvious freedom of speech point. I suspect that you're in favour of news organisations being able to um, report in a muscular way about the corruption and the culture they see around them. But the impact of the Jimmy Lai case of basically putting a publisher in the dock, the impact of that on Hong Kong as a, an international gateway to China, is, is that gateway closing?
3: Slowly, and uh, as Giles um, pointed out, it it is slowly, and China really needs it because you know the economy is not doing what it used to do. But it it, it won't. I don't think it will restrain them. I mean, there is this human story. I mean, Jimmy Lai is seventy-six now. There was one protester outside the court when they went in this morning. um, there, There, midday, I think it was, one lone protester. Um, which, you know because it's, it's done. The, the, the democracy movement is done, it's, it's finished. So yeah, there was two things. Uh, you said James, about the influx uh, of capital, which is slowly and slowing. And, and Giles talked about um, the UK watching closely. And yeah, the UK, the EU and the Americans are all watching this trial very closely because there is a potential another diplomatic flashpoint uh, that will come from it, um, and it will just add to the list of diplomatic flashpoints that we have with China, which in the biggest picture I can talk about of the 21st century is what I believe, which is there is going to be a new bipolar world, US-led block, China-led block. There is going to be a new form of Cold War. I, these are broad brush terms with differences to the previous iteration. And so this trial will be put on that ledger of things which continue to divide us and divide the world into a bipolar world as as we progress through through the century now none of that is much comfort to Mr. Lie, um, who as I said 76 already serving a five-year uh, jail term. There was one of his supporters was actually in court as well, and she was openly talking about you know this guy might well die in jail. We just wanted to be in the court to show him that, you know, we, we, we recognise his, his sacrifice for free speech, but uh, that's a done deal, I suspect.
2: All right, let's get to the, let's get to it. That's one we'll come back to 2024. Kat, you go first. If you were to choose assuming you're not gonna lead on Moan, because you can't sorry, Tim, one of the rules of this particular exercise are you can't choose your own story haven't pitched <laughs> it. So Kat. F- Finland or Jimmy Lai?
0: Um I'd go with Jimmy Lai. Um but also I know that we haven't really touched on it, um, but in this talking about the sort of bipolar world, uh what uh China does in the next few months regarding Taiwan. Um, and sort of, I think this is kind of one of those, as you say, sort of moments in history. Perhaps a test case to see kind of what the reaction from uh, the West will be. Um, gives you perhaps a sort of sense of how uh, relaxed or otherwise uh, people might be if there is any suggestion of, of sort of action around Taiwan.
3: Tim, what would you lead on? Jimmy, lies pretty today, isn't it? You've got if you're talking pictures. You know, courtroom, it's a good news story. Moan hasn't moved since yesterday. This is new. So I'll go with um, President Vucic winning the Serbian election.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so this is the um, optional bottom of the draw pitch, which is once you've heard what everyone else has got, you bring in the Serbian election.
3: Oh, Jones, is a newsroom a dictatorship or a democracy? So don't you, if it's a dictatorship... I think we should... all
2: know the answer to that, Tim.
3: Yeah. <laughs> not at the New York Times.
2: <laughs> one, 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 one in which you'll be happy to know the dictator is easily toppled. Unfortunately, not by the people. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, Charles, what's yours? Talk about a spanner in the works there. Completely re- rejigging the format on the fly. Um, my my st- choice is uh, Putin and NATO, because it's not complete nonsense that he would... Uh, attacked NATO for two reasons, both of which Tim has already alluded to. The definition of Putin victory in Ukraine is very fungible, and the definition of an attack on NATO is likewise very fungible. A cyber attack on Estonia is all too plausible, for example.
2: All right. Well, um, obviously, in my position as democratically elected and endorsed by the adoring people. Actually, when By is the 100%, CC election? I think. Yeah, when is the CC election? <laughs> um, actually, my running order would be I'd lead on Jimmy Lai, then I would do Putin and Finland, and then I'd run Moan. For these reasons, Moan third, not because it's not just a sort of moment, but what we learned is what we knew. So... It doesn't have quite the same impact for me as Finland, which makes me look up and think differently, both about the situation in Ukraine, but also about the way in which Vladimir Putin sees not just the West, but his own border and how much more there is of this there is to come. But the reason I lead on Jimmy Lai is, that to me, it's one of those stories. Yes, Tim, you're right. It has pictures. Not helpful in a podcast, but still pictures. But it's a story that I think is human. There's this man who had such wealth and power and is now in a cell. It's geopolitical, which is China and the willingness it has to throw its weight around on you know fundamental human rights, even at the cost of its own economy and one of its own great cities. But most importantly, of course, It's a story of principle, isn't it? It's a story where, actually, do you stand up for free speech or do you ignore it? And I think for all those reasons, it leads the news, a good story uh, for people to care about as we go into that long trial uh, and towards Christmas. Tim Marshall, thank you. Thank you. It's fun. Kat and Giles, thank you too. If you've got a view about the stories we've run today or on any other day, I hope by now you know how to get hold of us, newsmeeting at tortoisemedia.com. It's brilliant to get your emails, even better, your voicemails. Uh, Let us know uh, what we're missing or what we're fundamentally misunderstanding. We have quite an interesting run of things coming up over the next week or two. Um, On Friday, we're going to publish the news meeting. That's not just what's news this week, but what's news this year. Pat, as well as Jess Winch, our news editor, and Robert Peston, ITV's political editor, have joined me to try and make sense of the whole of 2023 and decide the story which they think should lead the news if there were a bulletin for the year. Separately, I did an interview with Robert about his book, um, Bust, question mark, which is a book really in two parts. On the one hand, it's a diagnosis of the problems of the UK. But the best bit about it, I think, is the prescription for how fundamentally the UK needs to change. Political reform, economic reform, social change. Do listen to that. And then if you want to laugh at our expense, tune in on New Year's Day as you wake up addled, hungover and slightly fearful of the 2024 to come to hear a run of tortoise editors make their confident and no doubt entirely misguided (laughs) forecasts of what will happen in 2024. Uh, I've also pitched in... We're (laughs) out (laughs) on them. I've also um, uh, pitched in, uh, we will be consulting our lawyers uh, on the many uh, mistakes and errors that are in that episode. So there's a good deal to look forward to. Uh, Of course, what I really want to say is thank you for listening. It's meant a lot to us to see the audience of the news meeting grow in 2023. Thank you for sticking with us. Sometimes we've called it right. Sometimes perhaps we've veered off, but it's been great to have you listen in. I hope you get a really good, restful break in one form or other over the coming few days and wish you a very happy and healthy 2024. And as you may have noticed, one of the innovations of the news meeting in the last few months has been to leave you with the dulcet sound of some provocative figure or wise owl saying something that you shouldn't forget or we hope you haven't missed. And our Christmas present to you is not someone out in the ether, but someone here in the podcast studio, our very own Charles Wittell,
4: with his recipe for a better country. Thank you, James. I just wanted to reprise at the end of the year my recipe for a bloodless a British Revolution. I don't think it would be democratic. <clears throat> it, it couldn't be. But to show that how I've mellowed over the years since we printed this uh, in 2022, the top item has changed slightly. I'll rattle through them and then just explain why. So rather than abolish the monarchy, I start with abolishing the civil list, moving to an entirely elected House of Lords, moving the capital to Manchester bringing in a f- an element of proportional representation and rejoining the European Union <laughs> as uh, digestifs or amuse-bouche, however you wish it, for uh, 2024, I think we should, to boot, repatriate the Elgin marbles permanently, as a, not as a loan, but uh, send them back where they belong and build a second tunnel under the English Channel for electric cars, two lanes each way. Um, and I. The reason that I wanted to reprise this recipe is not because uh, any of those components are radical, but precisely the reverse. I wanted to make the case that all of them are simply common sense.
1: Tortoise